Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff's Pirkei Avashir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. All right, so let's take a look at um, Mishnah 10 and 11 today, which is the next two Mishnayos, the next Zugos, the next pairs um, in, the, in the study of the Zugos. Shmaya v'avtayim kibla mehem. Shmaya Omer Shmaya says, that you have to love work, usnas rabbonus, and you have to hate rabbonus. It doesn't say hate rabbis, it says hate rabbonus. And don't sidle up, is, uh, is my best translation. Don't sidle up to Russia, to people in um, authority positions. And then Italian says, Rabbis, be very careful with what you say. Because lest you... you um, are obligated to go to Gaulus to exile, you become exiled because of the things you say, and you're going to go to a place of bad water. And the students that are going to go with you, and the students have to go with you, because a Rav who is, um, goes to Gaulus, so then his students are they have to go with him. So in the name of God is going to be um, desecrated. So, of course, like in all of the Zugos that we have to, we, we've discussed, what's the parallel between Shmaya and Avtalion? That one is Ava, one is Yira, one is Spirit, one is Love. So we have to come to an understanding of what the parallel is. And also, like we've been doing in the past couple of Mishnayas, which I, 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 particularly, um, I, I particularly enjoy, is understanding a little bit of the background of Shmaya and Avtalion, which gives us a little insight into what they're saying. Um, in Shmaya's Mishnah, before we even understand the, the insight, the, 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 the background, there is a, a bit of a difficulty, just in the words, Ehov es HaMalacha, we have to love work. You have to love to work, it would seem. You, you have to uh, appreciate work, but to love work, Ehov es HaMalacha, right? to, to love work for the sake of work itself. Work, the reason why we love work is because work is important so that we're not sitting doing nothing all day. So that we don't come to the day Batala, because Batala, sitting and doing nothing, brings a person to, to terrible things. Right? And that's in other Mishnahis, we, we discussed that. But, but the work itself, to El Vesamalacha, to love the work, what's the, what's the message? What's the value? Usnas Harabonis, is that the opposite of that? What's the connection between the, the two of them? Snas Harabonis, hate authority. Not, not hate the authority of authorities, but does, don't, don't like to be in a position of authority. Yeah, but sometimes your life brings you to a position of authority. You don't really have a choice. And everybody has to exercise authority, whether it's a parent, whether it's a, a, a spouse. I mean, there's a certain, just in, in life, if you're, if you're working with people, working for people, you have, to, you have to exert yourself a little bit. So what does it mean to snas harabonis? And then, of course, the third thing, Galtis Vadalurashas. And, and of course, we ask, you know, lady's question of, 
of you know, three, that it seems to be again an, another, another tripod of things, and what's the connection between the, uh, the trilogy of Shmaya? Okay, so we have to understand the times that we have to understand the times that Shmaya and Avtayim lived, and we have to understand who Shmaya and Avtayim were. Shmaya and Avtayim were actually the um, descendants of Sancherev. When the Gemara says in Gitten that descendants of Sancherev are going to teach Torah in the Sanhedrin, they're going to teach Torah in the, in, in the chamber of hewn stone, what, who they're referring to was, um, was Shmaya and Avtayim, because they were descendants of Sancherev who almost destroyed Yerushalayim. Now, it's important in the larger picture of, of who Shmaya and Avtayim were because that, that tells us a lot about their sensitivities. They themselves, there's a machlekes, as to whether they were Geirim or whether they were descendants of Geirim, descendants of converts. The Ramam actually holds that they themselves were, were Geirim. Now, that, that just raises a small problem of how are you the head of Sanhedrin if you're, if you're a Geir. A Geir is not allowed to adjudicate on laws of life and death. So how is it possible for them to adjudicate? So they, they, they deal, the commentaries deal with the, with the question that either they, um, they, they, they abdicated themselves from those, from those kinds of cases, or they, um, it was a hurrah shot. It was a special um, dispensation for that period of time that it became necessary for them to be able to be involved in, in these kinds of cases, and therefore they were allowed to be. Whichever way it was, they were, they were definitely of um, that their heritage was um, of converts, again, either themselves or, or their family. And therefore, they were specifically and particularly uh, sensitive to what was going on with Gerim. There's a famous case in the Gemara that they had, um, th- that they had taken a, a convert and they had made her drink from the soda waters. Um, you know, we know that a woman who's a suspected adulteress so then she has to she has to drink from the the waters of the uh, of the sota the mesota. She gets brought up to the temple, but it's not done to a ger. It's not done to a convert. But he did it this way specifically. Shmaya Naftali did it this way, um, either because they were trying to make a point, and they were trying to they were trying to say that uh, that look you know gerim are also Jews, which is which is a particularly difficult thing in 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 their time and a particularly difficult thing in, in most times. You know, it's, it's interesting, just on this, a total aside, you know, I dealt a lot with South Africans. Um, a good amount of my congregation was, uh, was South African. And it's just fascinating. They themselves were not really religious, but converts were, were something that were very problematic for them. Even if they, the convert was someone who was a total um, Gertzedek, a total you know, religious person and totally involved and engaged, but they still looked at it as being an intermarriage and they had a hard time. We had in our shul an enormous proportionally and a, and a disproportionate number of converts. Um, and a beautiful Gary said that converts that people wouldn't even know that they were that, that they had converted. Um, but they were the, the South Africans were particularly uncomfortable with uh, with converts. So it's not, it's it's something that we've we've had to grapple with our entire our entire history and existence. It's interesting that um, that that there's even a commandment in the Torah that says not only do you have to kamaycha, not only do you have to love people, but it says you have to that you dafka have to love a convert because a convert is starting off in a in a position 
that most people are not starting off in, and therefore the Torah has to warn us that we have to have a, a specific, we have to reach out to them specifically. So Shmaya Naftayun had this tremendous sensitivity towards Gerim, and, uh, and, therefore, and, and therefore treated them in a, in a very particular kind of way. Their names, Shmaya Naftayun, also speak to their personalities. Um, Avtalion is the, the Avtalion is the father of, of young children, um, which also spoke a lot about his patience and the kind of and the kind of person that he was. Shmaya of time were involved in, in a few important things, but before before I talk about um, Shmaya of Talion, before I talk about Shmaya of Talion. I want to talk about um, a little bit about the times that they were living in. They were living in, a time, in the times after the previous um, Mishnah that we talked about. We talked about um, Shlomtsiyana Malka. And we talked about Kinyana. And Kinyana, with the brother of Moshe and Shatach, ended up killing a lot of the, a lot of the sages. Um, it was a time after the story of Hanukkah, but that the, um, the Hellenists, which were now really in the guise of Tzadukim, of Sadducees, were really taking over the Jewish people. And Shlomtzi and Amalek had two sons, Hercules and Aristobulus, who ended up, the, the story itself is a great history lesson, but they ended up in a, in a battle, in a civil war. One was inside the temple, one was outside the temple. It's not totally clear at which point all the events that took place happened because there was a time where um, Hercules was inside and there was a time when Aristobulus was inside. But there was a battle over the, the temple. There's a famous story, which is no gay, even this past week's parasha, there is a, a famous incident of um, Hercules and Aristobulus when they were battling. So there was a certain fellow who was a, um, a Greek, who, who knew Greek language. And it wasn't, Rashes wasn't Greek language. He knew how to make certain sign language with Greek. In other words, he, he understood things. He understood a certain, uh, a certain way of sending a message to, the, to, to the, uh, the armies. And he sent a message to them and he said that as long as the Jews are doing the daily sacrifice, the carbon Talmud, you're never going to be able to destroy them. And what they used to do is every day they would lower down a basket of uh, money. They would take the money and then they would put inside of it two carbonos, two sacrifices, two animals, so that they could be sacrificed in the temple, because everybody understood, even those that were more sadducidically um, uh, disposed, they understood that the daily sacrifice was what kept the Jewish people alive. You know, whether you were a Sadducee or not, you were still connected to the Jewish people and to the, and to the life of the Jewish people. So they wanted the daily sacrifice to continue. So they would put in, again, send down the money, and they would put in the, uh, the animals. This fellow understood that, 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 that this was the reason why they were never going to be able to, to, to deal, the, the, the Romans were never going to be able to deal with them. So what they did was one day when the basket came down, they took the money out and they put in two pigs, they put in a pig, and they started to raise it up. The Gemara says that the pig took its fingers and it stuck it in the walls of the temple. And when the, when, it, when the fingernails stuck into the walls of the temple, so Yerushalayim shook 400 parsangs by 400 parsangs, and that that was the beginning of the end, because of that the daily sacrifice was not sacrificed, and then eventually Jerusalem was destroyed. Now, it took a while for Jerusalem to be destroyed. Herod had to come along and he had to rebuild Yerushalayim, which was also during this period of time, 
But nevertheless, this was this marked the beginning of the end. So what does that mean that the pig that, that stuck its fingernails in the Noatzefarnav? It says it stuck its fingernails into the wool, and then it, it sticks its fingernails into the wool, and then Israel shed the, the, the wool shank four hundred passing, four hundred passing. But what's the what, what is the message that the Gemara is trying to tell us? A fascinating thing. We know that in this past week's parsha, we were told what's a kosher animal, what's not a kosher animal. We were told about four animals that have one of the two signs of kashrus. And that one of the signs of kashrus is, is that there are split hooves and the other is chewing its cud. One is an external sign, splitting the hooves, and the other is chewing the cud is an internal sign. Because even though you can tell an animal is chewing, it looks like it's chewing its cud, but the truth is it's really an internal thing. It happens in the stomach of the animal. And because of that, one is, one is external, one is internal. The pig has the external sign. It's got the split hooves, but it doesn't chew its cud. And therefore, it's not a kosher animal. We know that we are what we eat. And that the mythos that come through in certain animals, we, the reason why we're told not to eat them is because we, sensitive souls that we are, need to protect ourselves and be protected from those midos, from those characteristics. There are those that explain the prohibition of eating dam, of eating blood, that you're sitting and eating an animal and its blood is dripping from your mouth. There is a certain barbarism in that. And therefore, so as not to inculcate us with that kind of midah, with that kind of characteristic, prohibited to eat the dam. By a chazer, we say that a chazer is a symbol of holiness, a symbol of externality, of looking at my externals, looking at who I am on the outside, not who I am on the inside. When a pig lies down, its feet are, are sitting in front of it, as if to say, look, I'm a kosher animal. You can see my split hooves, they're right out in front of me, not tucked underneath me, but sitting right out in front of me, so that you can see that I am in fact a kosher animal. Remember, as a child growing up, my father, when he would, when there would be somebody in shul who would, what we used to call prav shtiklach, like a person would, you know, trying to show themselves to be a very religious person, my father would say chazer fislach. That was the that was the expression. Chazer fislach means again that there is an external show, a try, a, 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 trying to, to to portray a sense of religiosity on the outside, and on the inside, it's completely empty. The pig, they didn't put up an orangutan, they didn't put in a kangaroo, they put a pig in because a pig was really symbolic of the enemy of the Jewish people that were all about externals and nothing about internals. All about beauty, all about might, all about art, all about the body, but not about the inside, the soul of a person. When that pig was being raised up, and it was not Tzifarnav B'Kaisal, and it stuck its fingers into the wall, that meant that it was making inroads in the Jewish people, that there would be a Hercules and an Aristobulus fighting over the temple, fighting over Jerusalem, fighting over the rulership of the Jewish people. There would be Stukin and Purushim fighting with each other. There would be this whole sense of who has the heart of the Jewish people, who controls the Jewish people. And it was based not on, on Torah values. It was based, unfortunately, on very personal vendettas and personal values. 
that means that this holiness, this externality, had started to, to sink into Jerusalem. It started to meld its ways inside. And that's what it means, not Tzifarnav, that it stuck its fingers into the wall of Jerusalem. Symbolically, it means that it was starting to infect and affect the Jewish people. And because of that, Eretz Yisrael shook. It couldn't withstand this pressure. And it was from that moment on that that was the beginning of the end, the beginning of the destruction of the temple and of the dissolution of the Jewish rulership and the Jewish existence inside of the land of Israel for that period. This is the civil war, the times that were going on. The end of that war was that basically Rome took over. They were tired of the, of the battle. They were tired of the Jews not being able to deal with it. There was a fellow Antipater. The, the, again, the history is fascinating, but the, they came in, Herod came in. Now, Herod was really the, 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 the son of a slave, and um, his, his intended wife stood up by the, by the building, and she said that if anybody ever says that they are a descendant of the Hasmoneans, so then you know that they're either a slave or a liar. And she jumped out a window and killed herself. She being the last descendant of the base Hashmanoi, the Hasmoneans that had done such beautiful things in the time of Hanukkah, but had unfortunately gone off. And Herod, therefore, was not from the base Hashmanoi, Herod was really only a slave. And um, Herod, we'll, we'll talk more about him um, at other times, but he was, a, he was a difficult person. But nevertheless, what he did was that he rebuilt the temple. He refurbished the, the Beis HaMikdosh. It was during this time, this background, that uh, Shmaya and Avtalyum were trying to lead the Jewish people and trying to lead them away again from the Tzedukim, which seemed to be so prevalent in the past, you know, in, the, in the past Zugos, that they were trying to, to keep Jews away from assimilating. There's a very famous story in the Gemara that there was a high priest. We spoke about, when we talked about Shimon Tzadik, that when the high priest would come out of the Beis HaMikdash on Yom Kippur, he would come out, his face was glowing. The piyot, Mare Kohen, was written about Shimon Atzadik, the face of the Kohen, how illuminated it was when he would come out of the Holy of Holies. There was, a, during the time of, of Shmaya Naftalion, there were many high priests, again, that were, they stole the, the priesthood, or they bought the priesthood, or they were given to it as a political favor, and that they were not roy, they were not fitting to be priests. This is where the, you know, the Gemara talks about how on Yom Kippur night, they would keep the priest up all night and they would teach him Torah. If he was able to teach Torah himself, then he would give shiurim. And if he wasn't, then they would speak, the sages would speak to him. And then they would adjure him. They would make him swear and say to him, oh, our, our brother, the Kohen God of the high priest, you promise that you swear that when you go into the holy wilderness, you're going to do the services the way it appears in the Torah. And they would say, the, the, and the Kohen God would, would take his swear and he would say yes. And then they would turn their faces and the mission describes how they would cry, how the rabbis would cry, the high priest would cry, the high priest, priest would cry because they suspected him of being a Sadducee. The rabbis cried that they had to suspect him of being a Sadducee because there were so many Sadducees running around. It was really a very, very difficult time. Imagine Yom Kippur, the high priest comes out, and the custom was is that the nation would follow the high priest and walk them back to their home on Yom Kippur. And 
the high priest comes out and Shmayan of Tayyan look at him and say, the guy's a charlatan. He's not a real guy because his face wasn't shining. Mari Kayan, there was no Mara. It didn't look like anything. So Shmayan of Tayyan turned around and they started to walk away. And the nation followed after Shmayan of Tayyan. The Gemara has in very beautiful language the conversation that took place between the high priest and Shmayan of Talion. The high priest ran them down for being the sons of, of converts, and Shmayan of Talion snapped back and said that the, that the, the high priest, they, they let him have it because he was a descendant, supposedly a descendant of Aaron, but he wasn't acting like a descendant of Aaron. He wasn't an Oev Shalom. He wasn't loving peace. He wasn't trying to make peace. He was only trying to make machlokas, only trying to make dissension. And that was, that was a terrible wake-up call for Shmayan of Tayon and for, and for the nation to recognize that it was being schlepped, it was being dragged in this terrible place. And the end of that was, was, wasn't, a, wasn't a good result that Herod eventually, eventually became the, the king and Herod eventually took over really for the Jewish people. There was no longer any, any Jewish leadership. Maybe that's the reason that Shmai and Avtayim turned to their generation and they said, love work. Love getting your hands dirty. Love being, a, being an Indian. Love just doing what it is you have to do, the malacha, the work that you were given by God. Usnas Rabbanus. Don't, don't get involved with Rabbanus. Don't get involved with positions of leadership and grandeur because they're not bringing you anywhere. Those people that seem to have the leadership, the Kohanim Gedolim, the high priests, they're not taking you in the right place. And ultimately, to the ruling powers, to those you have to be very, very careful. Because with those, they are clearly going to take you down the wrong place. As we're going to learn in the Mishnah later, they are into it for themselves. They're worried about themselves. They might sidle up to you. They might love you, but it's only because of what you're going to give to them how you're going to be able to give them an advantage. But it's got nothing to do with you, and it's got nothing to do with, what, with, with, with your well-being. It all has to do about them. And because there was such suspicion to leadership at this time, because Hercules and Aristobulus, uh, they might have started off as good guys, but had, had completely gone off. The high priesthood had gone off the leadership in the, the Roman leadership was taking advantage of them. They looked at it and the lead and leadership was something that was causing them such difficulty and such, such problems. So just be, love, love what you're doing. Just, just get involved in your day-to-day -day activity. Love being who you are. That's the simple shot of the Mishnah. But that does not answer up the, the problem of of what does it mean to actually love Malacha? And I mean, easily it could have, it could have said, do Malacha, right? Asa Malacha, 
do do malacha. But but it doesn't but 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 not it doesn't have to say el besamalacha that you have to love malacha. And and snasarabanis is also a bit of a problem because if you're going to hate leadership, that's gonna snap back on us. That's gonna start that's gonna start us disrespecting and not trusting our rabbis. If you if you're a person who distrusts leadership in general, then you can end up distrusting our rabbis. We saw it, I think, you know, without without making too much of a political statement, but I think that we saw that in um, not necessarily the second part of it, but but people that distrust rabbis, that they distrust leadership. So when the leadership of the country said that this is what we need to do, we need to close down Minyanan, and we need to you know, to walk around with masks and do all this. They were slow in buying it because they had a certain distrust to Rabbanus. And, and that's, a, that's a dangerous, it's just a dangerous attitude on both, in both directions. So what does the Mishnah mean by Rabbanus? And then Al-Tizvadil Roshos, the real problem with that statement is, is only that it's said later in Pirkei I don't really need to say it again over here um, or, or say it here and then say it again over there it's got to be teaching me something more than just the fact that they are in it for themselves, they're not in it for you. There's got to be some specific thing. Don't become close to the ruling class, to the leaders. There has to be some message that's connected to Elvis HaMalach and Sanas Okay, so I think that that we'll, we'll see tomorrow. Um, so step number one that we have is we have at least in the in the climate of the times that there was such a difficulty with leadership and such a difficulty with you know, with ruling class that Shmaya and Aftalion had to warn their people. And by the way, if you just look at the second Mishnah, be very careful because if you if you get the ruling class ticked off at you, you're going to end up in Gullis. When you go to Gullis, your students are going to go to Gullis. And when that happens, you have the kalim, you have the ability to be able to withstand living in those kinds of neighborhoods and places, but your, your, your people don't have that. And they're going to, it's going to turn into one big chil Hashem. So you can see the Shemayin of Tanyan were talking very much to their generation. But what was the specific message that Shemayin of Tanyan was saying, which is bigger than just their time, Something that is no gaya that touches us also. So that Mitz Hashem will see tomorrow morning.